Welcome to Career Chinwax for the 21st century. I'm a career specialist who's worked with thousands of people by now, and I like to just spend some time talking about career matters. This is one of three segments that I look at. The first is a pretty traditional podcast where I just pick up on things that are happening in the career space and try and update people to help them better manage their careers. The second segment is my short, sharp and shiny segment. And this is part three, which is where I explore the 16 different MBTI personality profiles to help people get a better understanding of their preferences so that they can use this information to make better career choices. I want to apologise that I'm going to be taking a detour on the detour. I think I often take detours. Recently, a couple of weeks ago, I broke my upper leg in a pretty traumatic way. And so I'm struggling to get to work and I'm struggling to do lots of what I normally do. So I'm going to take a detour and concentrate on MBTI podcasts just for the next little while. And that's because they're ready to go and they're very easy for me to do. So I apologize if this is going to be a little bit out of sequence. So MBTI. I love it and I think it's so valuable. So if somebody comes in and they're not sure about where they're heading in life or they're not sure about how to be happier at work, I always recommend MBTI. I want to give you a little bit of theory before we start. If we start at the back, MBTI, the I stands for indicator. It's not a test. There's no point you going online and doing one of those um, so-called free assessments because on its own, it's pretty well useless. Any MBTI accredited practitioner, when they sign up for the ethics aspect of being accredited, will only ever agree to deliver an assessment with the debrief. And if there's ever any doubt between what you think when you've done the assessment and what you think when you've done the debrief, it's the debrief that rules. The T. The T stands for type, and there's two issues here to look at. One is there are 16 types or 16 possibilities, and from a career perspective, it's pretty well the perfect level of detail. What typically happens is somebody gets their profile, has this amazing, oh, my God, I can't believe they got it so right moment, and then they forget. And if I rang them in a year's time and said, you know, what's your profile? They'll get it wrong. They'll say, oh, aren't I? uh, And for our purposes, that doesn't matter because all we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, have a think about hardwired preferences, and then use that information to make better career choices. The other issue with type is that it's, if you ever do the assessment and do the debrief, you'll notice pretty well straight away that it's a forced choice. It does not measure you along a continuum. It does not say you are more like this or less like this than a particular population group. Apparently, Jung said none of us are 100% introvert or 100% extrovert, but you will notice that essentially MBTI forces you to come down on the side of fundamentally, do you connect more with the introversion side, for example, or with the extroversion side? And the MB, it stands for Myers-Briggs, and it comes from a mother-daughter combination who built on Carl Jung's work. 
So Carl Jung is that very famous psychoanalyst who explored the idea that we have these hardwired preferences. He was not interested in a mainstream application of his work. He knew of Catherine Briggs' work, but she was the first person who tried to use information about preferences, and I'll keep coming back to this again and again, to help people make career decisions. Now, some people get thingy about the fact that it's a label. They don't want to be labelled. And perhaps a, a useful analogy is, is your favourite room in your house? Now, my favourite room in the house is my bedroom because it looks out onto the garden and I love looking out onto the garden. So you could argue that my type, ENTP, is like my favourite room. It's where I go, it's where I'm at ease, it's where I'm in the zone. If you ask me what my least favourite room in the house would be, it's the laundry. I find it pretty soul-destroying, I must say. Do I still go into the laundry? Yes, of course I go into the laundry. So this is not about behaviour. Yes, of course, one should change one's behaviour according to the circumstances. This is about preferences. At a minimum, I'm going to continue down this theme, at a minimum you could argue the 16 types are just a description of behaviour preferences and that's no different than the DSM-5, which is the American Psychiatric Association's description of mental disorders. If you ever look at that, it's a set of descriptors of behaviour which are placed underneath a label, for example, borderline personality disorder. And finally, for those of you who are sceptics, since about 2006, there's a person called Dr Dario Nardi, and he's done a whole lot of hands-on brain research. He uses real-time EEG technology and he looks at establishing the link between the parts of the brain that light up when somebody's in the zone doing an activity that matches their MBTI preferences. Just Google him and you'll find he has lots of interesting content and videos. And just recently, if you look at him on LinkedIn, he's started work on a new book and under each of the preferences, he looks at four different subtypes, and I found when I looked at my own that was even more fascinating than usual. Now let's look at today. Today I want to examine one of the 16 MBTI profiles, and I'm going to look at ESF. Jay. And the reason I'm doing that is it's because it's Ainsley's profile who works with me. Some of the bits that I'm going to talk about are very deep and very detailed. Others are, are quite brief and to the point. And I'm going to end with a bit of fun. An ESFJ can be summed up by the phrase, what can I do for you? They like to organise people and situations and then they work with others to complete tasks accurately and on time. They are conscientious and loyal. They follow through even in the small details and they want others to be the same. If we look at the four letters, the E stands for extroverted. An extroverted person is someone who is energised by time spent with others. The S is sensing. It's somebody who focuses on facts and details rather than on ideas and concepts. Feeling refers to the fact that they make decisions based on feelings and values rather than impartial analytical reason. And judging, they prefer to be planned and organised rather than spontaneous and flexible. From a statistical point of view, ESFJ is a relatively common type. It makes up 8% of the general population and it's more common amongst women than men, 10% of women 
6% of men. If we continue with the statistics, ESFJs are amongst the types who are highest in resources for coping with stress. They're the second most likely type to report believing in a higher spiritual power. They're the most likely of all types to be satisfied with their co-workers and their work, and they have the highest of all types in satisfaction with their marriage and relationships. ESFJs are likely to be personable, cooperative and tactful. They're decisive, thorough and consistent. Warm, sympathetic and helpful. They're also practical, realistic and down-to-earth, and they're energetically dedicated to their responsibilities. There aren't actually that many famous ESFJs, which makes sense in a way, but some of them are Martha Stewart, Dave Thomas, Sam Walton, Barbara Walters, Ariana Grande, and Sally Field. From a career perspective, I'm of course interested in where each type finds career satisfaction. For an ESFJ, career satisfaction means doing work that has practical benefits for people and gives them time to learn and master necessary skills before using them. The work needs to let them exercise control, working with lots of people and helping other people work harmoniously towards a common goal. This work needs to give them opportunity to interact with other people throughout the day and they need to be an integral part of the decision-making process. Finally, it needs to let them organise their own work and that of those around them to ensure that things are running as smoothly and as efficiently as possible. It needs to be done in a friendly environment where people express appreciation for their work, where they feel support and consider their co-workers to actually be their friends. Given those qualities, you can imagine that they have lots of work-related strengths. They're very good at using efficient processes to see that all details of a project are carried out according to the specifications. They're sensitive to the needs of each person around them, and they're very good at providing practical caring. They're always willing to step up and lend a hand and are not intimidated by challenges. They establish and maintain warm and genuine relationships with other people. They create order, structure and schedules, working in tangible ways to improve the quality of life of other people. There's a wonderful book by Isaacson and Behrens, and it's really straying more across into the path of executive coaching. But I know when I read the information from my profile, I find it really useful. I'm just going to take one piece of information from each of the categories in that area and talk about ESFJs in relation to that. When it comes to their management style, ESFJs are softly authoritarian and decisive. As a manager, they expect others to follow the rules and procedures without question, and they respect hierarchy. When it comes to their general attitude, Quite fascinating. The basic attitude of the ESFJ is one of fatalism. Things are what they are and little can be done to change them. Hand in hand with this attitude of fatalism, though, is an attitude of concern. They are very serious and concerned about the future, particularly immortality and the disintegration of society. As a driving force, ESFJs have a very high need for security and stability. 
the pathway to stability for them is responsibility. Their authority orientation, they expect the person in charge to be obeyed and not questioned. Authority is granted by title and tenure. When it comes to energy direction within the organisation, their energy is directed towards stability and preservation of the organisation. They do whatever is needed to keep it running. No surprises when it comes to conflict resolution. They tend to avoid confrontation, preferring to ignore problems. If we look at one of their blind spots, their strong desire to please and provide for others may lead them to ignore their own needs. Again, no surprises there. And because they like decisions and dislike delays, they may make decisions too fast without enough data. Let's look at what makes them attractive to others. There's a group of MBTI aficionados on Quora, so this information comes from them. ESFJs are attracted to others because of their devotion to their loved ones their sense of responsibility to serving others, their upbeat optimism in the face of adversity, their unquestioning loyalty and support for their loved ones, their attentiveness to the practical details that keep the machine running smoothly, and their ability to see the good in everybody and the silver lining in every situation. Again from Quora, a little bit of fun. How are you going to know if somebody who's an ESFJ actually likes you? If they like you, expect them to notice all the details about what you love and go out of their way to make you happy. Like that one time you said you liked your fries crispy with mayo, or the little things you do to make yourself comfortable. They will try to help you in practical ways and take care of you, like helping you out with an activity or bringing you a warm home-cooked meal when you're sick. They've probably already told their friends they like you, so you can expect smiles and glances between them when you're around. They'll want to initiate conversations, playfully touch you, and find ways to make you laugh. They're the type to ask you on a second date 10 minutes into the first date. If they don't like you, they might rope you into a group outing to spend time with the person they actually like. to from here. I think the starting point is to know your profile and if you go to the show notes you'll see lots of links to some of the sources I've used for this podcast. I've mentioned earlier if you want to explore your profile don't do it online the person needs to be accredited. If in doubt you think about your private life not work and if you're really in doubt you try to remember what you were like in primary school because that's usually how you were before the world got to you and told you to either stop doing something or start doing something. If you do the Step 2 interpretive report, it will also show the effects that life has had on you, either choices you've made about how you wish to change your behaviour against your preferences or in line with your preferences, or things that have happened to you that have caused you to change your behaviour. So the Step 2 interpretive report is really valuable. I show up, for example, in the Step 2 Interpretive Report as a feeler, and I'm not a feeler. I'm the most analytical person you could ever imagine. I'm a true thinker. And I've concluded it was because I was brought up as a very strong Catholic. So from a very early age, from about my earliest memories, I was taught to think of other people. 
And I think this is really useful information to help you understand how you generally modify your default preferences. I think a constant message I've been giving throughout this podcast is to use it to make career decisions and to thrive in the workplace. And finally, I use it a great deal in my relationship. The first time I went shopping with my husband, I was amazed. And then I thought, well, that's how a sensing person would shop. It's quite logical. I don't want to shop that way. I don't go shopping with him. I meet him for coffee afterwards, but I respect him. I think MBTI can help you not just understand yourself, but I think it can help you understand and respect others. Catherine Briggs's book is called Gifts Differing, and the very clear message of MBTI is that each of the 16 profiles has its own worth and validity. Thank you. Talk soon. 